say, you know, the, the qualifications for an elder or bishop, but kind of going through these a little bit slower, dealing with each one. Verse 6 is where we are this evening. And really, verse 6 and 7 kind of go together as far as the blameless part and the fact that the the home life is a it's a proving ground, one proving ground anyway for for this this pastoral life or elder bishop things like that. So Titus chapter one verse six, and good to see you, Julian. Y'all have any kids tonight? Congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations on that. Yeah, hot date at church. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so Titus 1, verse 6. If any be blameless, we dealt with blameless, so what, what that idea is. The husband of one wife, that's what we'll talk about this evening. Having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. So the husband of one wife, that's... Uh, that's the deal, and that's what we'll talk about. We've got, got a few points to make on that, just explanatory points here. And I will say I don't have a particular... I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm at a, a point in my life in, in ministry and serving God and understanding the Bible that if I were to find out that what, the way I believe some of these things is... is wrong and would disqualify me from the ministry I would just you know that's just what it is and so but that said that may sound bad but I'm not married to anybody else or anything like that <laughs> there's there's <laughs> yeah yeah no 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 I just there's a there's a lot of you know there's a lot of uh debate about all the these Things. Oh, yeah, we're doing so good. What happened here? <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I should have probably prefaced that with something else. So, well, now that I all shocked you, so <laughs> now you're listening. That's good. <laughs> um, no, it, it's just there's a lot of uh, different opinions about these things, and everybody holds to their opinions, and, and they're they're very... People are strong, and I feel like a lot of folks have an opinion because they have a dog in the fight. They don't want to just believe what God said. And if you just get to a point in your life where you just, look, if God says you're, you're, you're in a position or, or doing something that you shouldn't be doing, just let God be right. Just let him be right. It, it, it'll be okay. And so that said, I've only been married one time. I don't have any other wives. And so <laughs> just to clear the air here, so uh, Titus 1.6, the husband of one wife. What does this mean? What are we talking about here? Let's pray and, uh, and we'll, we'll dig into this. <clears throat> Father, I pray that you'd help us understand what we're reading. It seems pretty simple, but uh, uh, I think when we come to these, these qualifications and things, there's sometimes pasts that show up or just some elements of our lives or people's lives that contribute to how they're going to view the verses and what you said. And so we just want to view it the way you said it and, you know, get, be corrected where we need to be corrected and, 
if 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 something's not right, then just listen to you and what you said about it. And so uh, that said, we want to understand what you said, so we can apply it to our lives. And so I pray you'd help us with that. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So along these qualifications, dealing with home life, the family, and that as a, a proving ground for someone being an elder or bishop or in that kind of position, a pastoral type position, or at least some sort of a leadership position among a, a congregation. Um, he says, the husband of one wife. So that immediately rules out one thing for sure that is commonly taught in, in some religions, and that is the bachelor priesthood. So if Paul is saying you need to be the husband of one wife, he can't also be saying you can't have a wife. So, so this idea in First Timothy chapter four, Paul, Paul talks about this. But there's a there's a, a a theology about forbidding people to marry, and maybe even forbidding particularly people who are in leadership to marry. I know Roman Catholicism has this, where the priests are, are bachelors. I don't know if they're still that strict on that, I don't, I don't know. Um, but I know there's a, there was some time when there were. Uh, but clearly you can't be saying you're not supposed to be married in one place and then another place saying you need to be the husband of one wife. You can't say both of those. So forbidding marriage to pastors or elders or bishops, that's not, that's not healthy. First Timothy chapter 4, let me just show you a little cross-reference to this. Paul wasn't himself married, as far as I can tell. Um, he said he could have been married in 1 Corinthians. He said, there's nothing that prevents me from being married. Um, but 1 Timothy 4.3 says this, verse 1, for some context, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits, doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from meats. Meats is the same way it's used in, in Leviticus. It's food, certain foods, uh, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. So the forbidding to marry, that's, that, he says that's a doctrine of devils. That's something that, that is not God-ordained. It's not set up by God. And so that said, that's obviously not, not what is being taught to elders, bishops, pastors. The point is the husband of one wife is clearly what he means. The husband of one wife. So forbidding, I guess the point would be in this. Forbidding marriage to pastors, forbidding marriage to elders, forbidding marriage to bishops, that that's not that's not a not a not a doctrine of God in any way. Um, if you want to talk about what Paul said, some things about marriage. Um, in fact, I guess we can look at it. We got time. First Corinthians chapter nine is where he says, "You know, I'm free to be married. I could be married if I wanted to, um, but probably just didn't feel like he had time to do that." First Corinthians chapter nine. Verse 
uh, verse 2, for a little bit of context, he says, If I be not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you, for the, uh, for the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. My answer to them that do examine me is this, Have we not power to eat and to drink? I mean, that's, we're, we're free to do what we want to in that sense. Have we not power to lead about a sister or a wife as well as other apostles and as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas? So these men, Peter was married. He had a mother-in-law. Um, apparently the half-brothers or some of the half-brothers of Jesus Christ, maybe James, had a, had a wife. Um, so Paul said, you know, I could just as easily be married. It wouldn't make any difference as far as God's concerned. It's, it's not... Uh, uh, he's not forbidding me to do anything like that, but uh, that's his that's his uh, take on this. So, back over here to Titus, forbidding to marry uh, the husband of one wife obviously means forbidding marriage is, is not correct. Um, and you understand, as you do, you probably understand marriage can teach some valuable lessons. But being married isn't itself a qualifier either. Just being married doesn't make you qualified for the ministry either. Um, so there, there's plenty of, probably plenty of married men who don't know how to be married and uh, some who, who aren't in the ministry today right now because they didn't know how to be married and be in the ministry. And so that that. Just being married isn't a qualifier. However, it does it, it, it does serve as a proving ground to some degree of what what you would be like in a situation where if you were overseeing a congregation. So, husband of one wife, one of the, the things he's not saying for sure is you you cannot forbid people to marry in this position. In fact, you would probably want them to have some experience in marriage and have been proven successful in that experience. The second thing, and this is, this is always, I'll tell you what, this is a confusing one to me, <clears throat> but husband of one wife, this obviously disqualifies polygamists. And polygamy is, it's, I, I have yet to understand or hear a good explanation of some of the weird marriage relationships in the Old Testament. And I, I just, I don't know what to do with some of that stuff. I don't know what to think about it. I do know this, that in the New Testament, there's a lot of things that the Lord gets a lot more strict on. And He expects a lot more of, of His people after, after the resurrection. Because death has been defeated. Now that you have the example of Jesus Christ, and so the Lord is going to, and the Father is going to point to Jesus Christ as an example and say, now, now you have something to go by. The Old Testament saints, they're looking forward, they're thinking about, Isaiah's prophesying about the coming Messiah, Jeremiah's talking about the coming Messiah, but they, they haven't seen this example yet. They, they don't fully understand a lot of things they're going to do. However, after the new covenant gets set in motion, Seems like the Lord, particularly out of Paul's mouth, he says it in Acts. He says, now, now God commands men everywhere. He commands men everywhere, repentance toward God, faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And so 
the alternative was in the past he sort of winked at sin or, or just things he winked at is the way it's, it's worded there, just sort of maybe turned a blind eye to certain things. But now he has this expectation. So in a lot of ways, I think we have it backwards that, that things were so hard in the Old Testament and now they're not. The Lord says, no, no, no. Now you have an example. Now you have something to look to. Now you have a person. Now you have Jesus Christ. And so now there's, there's more expectation of it. So that said, all of that said, in a general sense, but bringing it down to the specifics we're dealing with here about marriage and the husband of one wife, polygamy is obviously disqualified. Uh, you, can't, you can't be a polygamist and in charge and, and, and uh, uh, in leadership in the congregation, at least is what Paul is telling Titus, a uh, husband of one wife. And like I said, I don't, ha- I don't have any real Old Testament, uh, in some cases, understanding of some of those relationships. I don't, I don't get it, but uh, uh, anyway, that's not what we're dealing with now. Now we're dealing with Titus and the establishment of these New Testament congregations. So I would say polygamy may be a little bit, um, it may be more common than we think it is. Maybe, you know, it, it's, um, it, it seems to be in other countries more common. I'll tell you an interesting story. Um, one of the, well, um, well now his, his name just left my mind, uh, Gandhi. So one of the things about Gandhi, <clears throat> in uh in his time and a little bit before, you know how Britain had sort of, the British Empire had taken over a lot of the world. And some of the Indian folks were envious of leadership, of the way Britain was able to govern people. And so in the way that we were able to organize and sort of use their resources and things like that, and they, they ask these questions to each other. The, the Indian people ask these questions to each other, like, how are they, how are they able to do this? And one of the things that, that came up, and Gandhi's going to be involved in this, and I'll explain how. But one of the things they came up with was the family situation was different in Britain. They, they, they didn't practice polygamy. So there was an expectation on the husband to care for children and the wives, and you couldn't just get rid of wives and things like that or start all these different families. There was this, there was a commitment in the family relationship, and there was expectation that you would take, um, uh, give, give the family priority, things like that. And so what that, what that proves really is a biblical principle that the family is a proving ground for leadership. And so the Indian people saw that, and what one of the things they wanted was to sort of imitate that, because they're practicing polygamy, their, their family relationships are just not, not what they were, they're associating with good leadership. And uh, so how Gandhi fits into this is this. He became sort of an outspoken you know, leader of wanting to wanting to kind of push the the Indian state and 
and uh, make it prominent and things like that. And he rebelled against the British notion of family and he practiced and, and taught polygamy on the sole basis that he hated the British Empire. He hated what they stood for. And so he, 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 would, uh, he was okay with that, and so he was okay with polygamy. And it's just an interesting history if you go back into it. But a lot of that history, it, it reinforces some of these things that Paul is explaining to Titus. Like these, are, these family relationships are sort of instructional and proving grounds for leadership type people that, that, that are, that are uh, you're going to one in your church that's going to be someone who's going to uh, have some responsibility in the church. And so that said, I just doesn't, I don't know, it's not in my notes, but I thought about the, that thing, I heard that story or read that thing somewhere. But uh, um, anyhow, Gandhi and polygamy and things like that, he was, he was very much opposed to Britain running things in his country, which you kind of understand, but he opposed some of the, the better values that Britain brought to the nation just on the basis that it came from, came from Britain. That was, the, that was the basis for his opposition to some of that stuff. So anyway, that was kind of interesting. But back over here, Titus, polygamy disqualifies, it disqualifies someone from this position in New Testament congregation. Um, and, and I say it's probably more common than we think. I've read some things about other countries that practice it and what their understanding of marriage is. Sometimes it has to do with with women's rights or the the ability of women to have property and things like that. So they want to be involved in these marriages. Um, I I read this interesting deal where there's this there were these three wives. I think I might have told you this one, but uh, there were these three wives married to this one guy, and this is an Indian, um, it was a tribe, this was a tribe of people. And these three wives are married to this one guy, and the one guy, the husband got tired of one of the wives and was threatening to get rid of her. And the other two wives said, well, if you get rid of her, we're going too. And it's like, well, what? That's, that's kind of a weird mentality about marriage, but that's, that's something that's kind of foreign to probably us in America, but uh, that, that, I think that stuff goes on a lot more than we give it credit for. Also, also maybe in our culture it may not be the practice of polygamy where it's a, a legalized marriage. It may just be a marriage and a bunch of girlfriends or boyfriends or something, and that's, that wouldn't be a good situation either. So the husband of one wife, don't forbidding marriage is, isn't going to be good. It's not right. Polygamy is going to disqualify somebody from this position. Um, I'll tell you another story. Um, there is, be, try to be careful how I tell this, but uh, I had a friend. We grew up together, and um, it was... It's, it's been a few years now, but I mean, we were over at each other's houses and uh, went to church together, all that. His, his, uh, his dad was involved in ministry and 
was a doctor, and uh, he came over to the house one day, and I hadn't seen him in a couple years, few years, and uh, he said, we had made a little small talk, and he said, you know what I found out? I found out that my dad had an entirely other family somewhere else. And he was, he was telling me this because his dad had died, and he found this out after he died. And it was just like shocking and devastating and horrible and, and things like that. But I don't know. I just think some of this stuff goes on a little more often than we may think it does. But uh, definitely goes on under legal conditions in other countries. And so back in this day with Titus, there was probably some... It may have been legal to do this. I didn't. I don't know exactly what the marriage laws were in Crete and things like that. But polygamy—that's a, a thing that disqualifies someone from this position in a New Testament church. And then the question: This is the the thing that you know. Is it is it possible to be remarried and be in the ministry? <laughs> so. I don't think this this question is that difficult to answer. I think the the Bible's pretty clear on some of this stuff. And so the this is the question that comes up. And I, and I think about when someone makes this point, um, one of my questions would be number 1, so if if a pastor's wife dies, so he's not allowed to be remarried. He's, so he's not allowed to, he, he can't get remarried and be in the ministry. Is that, is that what, what, what we're saying here? Because that's some, some of the hard rules that some of the, the brethren put on this stuff. And, they, you know, you can only be married one time. Well, what happens in that case? And probably until they're in that case, they don't have a valid opinion about it. Um, but that said... The Lord gave, in the New Testament, three reasons why a marriage would be dissolved. Why it would not be held against somebody if the marriage didn't work. Number one. Number one. So what does he say about remarriage? What what happens when Titus encounters a good man who knows the Scriptures, but the problem is, or the problem is, He's on his second wife. What do we do with that? What, what, where, where do we go with that? Well, here's some, here's some scriptures about marriage and remarriage. <clears throat> First of all, a marriage is a joining together. And some guys have made it just like a sexual thing. We're joining together. That's not what it is. That's not, that's not what marriage is. That can be part of it, but that's not what it is. Marriage is joining together, you're joining together uh, protection, you're joining together purpose, you're joining together provisions. All of these things are being joined together, and these two, two people are becoming one person, and they're coming under one, one household here. So marriage is a joining together, and it involves leaving a previous relationship. Obviously, if your first marriage, it's leaving a relationship with mom and dad, and now you're, now you're establishing a new home. 
with a new person. So here's what the Lord says. He gives essentially, I would say, two reasons, and then there's another one that, that is, is, maybe you, you could just say three reasons. But here's one, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12. In this case, the Lord says, all right, if this happens, the, the, the believer in this case is, is held guiltless. There's, there's no law against this. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12. What, what happens here in this case? And 1 Corinthians 7, by the way, has a lot of, lot of good instruction about marriage. Verse 10, for some context, he says, Under the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. Let not the wife depart from her husband, but and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. Let not the husband put away his wife. Okay, that's good advice. Do that if you can do that. But the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. Okay, so you've got this... Man married to this woman, and he, he's a believer, but she's not. And you could switch that out. Either way. Point is, there's one believer, and the other one's not a believer. And if the unbeliever wants to stay married, good. Paul's going to say, good. That way, you can be a testimony to your husband or your wife. Peter will talk about some of that, too, in, in, in 1 Peter. So he says, good, that would, that would be good. But what if the unbeliever says, I can't go with you on this, this Jesus trip you're on. I can't do that. I'm, 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 I can't follow you down this road. And so verse 13, the woman which hath a husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. That's the point. You become a testimony to the unbelieving partner. Else were your children unclean, but now they're holy. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. God hath called us to peace. All right, so you find yourself in that situation where one's a believer, one's not a believer, and they decide they're, they just can't. They can't stomach this new religion that you got. Um, it's just too much to handle. They don't, they don't like it. And Paul says, all right, if they're determined to get out of this relationship, all right. You, you, you can't control that. You can't stop them from doing that. And if they are determined to get out of this relationship because you're now a believer in Jesus Christ, you know, hopefully they, they don't, but if they're determined to do this, you're not under any bondage or there's no law that says you can't go get married again after this happens. There's no law against this. Why? Because you're not, you can't control this thing. So that's one case where a marriage gets dissolved and the believer is not at fault here. There's nothing to blame them for. The unbeliever wants to leave, and so they, they do. All right, that's one case. Another case is in the event of immorality. So in, this is even in the Old Testament, but if there's 
uncleanness, sexual immorality brought into the marriage because one of the one par- parties got somebody else they're with, then that that has potential to destroy a marriage. It doesn't have to, but it has potential. In fact, I'll give you a I think it's in Matthew. Um, I didn't write down the verse. I'll just tell you about it. But I know there's one. I want to say it's Matthew 19 or 18. Bear with me here. I'm going to try to find it on the fly. Yeah, there it is, 19. All right, so here's another case where where a marriage gets essentially destroyed, or could be. Verse, uh, verse 3, the Pharisees also came, Matthew 19, 3, the Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him and saying unto him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? So just any, any old reason, he gets tired and he just wants someone else. And Jesus answered and said unto them, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife. They twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. They say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you to put away your wives, but in the beginning, it was not so. So there, there are some things in the law that aren't even exactly the way they were from creation. Just interesting point there. I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery, and whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. So except it be for fornication, he says, then that's the, the marriage isn't broken there. That's, that's another case, and you've got to take the whole thing, not just this particular case. He's answering the Pharisees here. But you see in Corinthians, unbelievers leaving, that's one case. Fornication, that's another case where a marriage just is destroyed. And, and not to say, I mean, you, I've, I've known folks, and um, maybe you have too, but I've uh, known folks that have kind of gone through this and 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 restored their relationship so it's not a it's not a deal breaker every time but it could be and God recognizes that Lord recognizes that so immorality outside the marriage has the potential to dissolve the marriage doesn't have to but it's a legitimate reason for it and then of course death in the case of death um, if a spouse dies that's not a divorce. That's just the relationship, the covenant there. The relationship is, is there's no more legal obligation there. It's, it's the, one of the partners, one of the spouses is dead. So in death, there's no obligation to, to, to not get remarried. You don't have, you're not, you're not stuck with, um, someone who's dead, so to speak. But, uh, those three cases, those three cases are the cases where God says, all right, in these cases, if someone were to, were to remarry, well then, 
there's not really a law against that. And I just say, you take those the cases, plus polygamy is, is, is obviously out, plus the forbidding to marriage, and when you apply these things to Titus, I think that's the most logical thing to do, you apply this to what Paul says to Titus, the husband of one wife, well, then you have a f- kind of full picture of what he, what he means. So he means no polygamy, don't forbid the, these, these elders to marry, you can't forbid them to marry, the husband of one wife, that they're okay to marry. And then in any of these cases where God says there is a legitimate cause for this marriage to be dissolved, well, then there's, not, there's, no, there's no fault there on the believer's part. So this isn't going to be counted against him. And it wouldn't even be counted against, I don't think it wouldn't even be counted against an elder or, or you know, like Titus. So when Titus is going around setting up these churches and... You know, you just you learn some things about the the people you're dealing with, and so this is one of these proving grounds, one of these areas of proving grounds, where it it has the ability to give you some idea of who you're who you're working with and who's uh, who's gonna maybe do well in, in a position of, of leadership in a church and things like that. So he says, the husband of one wife, if any be blameless, back in Titus chapter 1, if any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless. That kind of goes with verse 6, the steward of God. So you have this, this time of... Um, I don't say testing, but it's just a, it, it sort of it's just a proving ground, I guess. So, husband of one and wife. I hope that's that's clear. I feel like we've dealt with this extreme, this extreme, and then sort of the 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 kind of the fog in the middle here. Where where what are you dealing with? Well, the Lord gives some pretty clear uh, explanation about that too. So. Hope that's helpful. Husband of one wife. That's one of the one of the qualifications Paul tells Titus to look for in the men he's going to appoint to set things in order in these churches. So I hope that's helpful. And uh, yeah, we'll wrap it up tonight. <clears throat> Father, I pray this has been helpful. Thank you for these words. Thank you for this time together. Um, Really, really just want to learn what you're saying, what you're talking about. And sometimes we've got to go to multiple places to get the full picture of this. And I hope we hope we have been able to do that this evening to get a big picture of what it is you're talking about here. So I pray that you'd help us with these things and just submit to whatever whatever that you say is the right thing. And uh, that's what we need to do. We need to hear from you, and we need to just do what you said. And um, so I pray that you would continue to guide us as you have through your words and help us make the applications wherever they need to be made. 
thank you again for each soul that's here this evening. Thank you for this time together. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.